back to System Ministeria, the podcast where sometimes we need to decide what we're talking about about five minutes before we actually start the show. This is Brent. I'm Jonathan. What do we have up tonight? We have Mandriva. We talk about Mandriva. Rest in peace. The Moose Router, which is kind of like old news at this point. We only record every two weeks, so don't get your panties on a twist. We talk about Solaris, Open Indiana, yada yada yada. Alternative firmware for routers. Some of the favorite software we run on our VPSs. Some games that run on Linux. And maybe BSD, too. Just in case. Well, yeah. I'm not fond of BSD, but I don't want to leave them out. And a couple high-profile security compromises that happened in the past. Past week, I'd say. Maybe the past four days. So first up, we have Mandriva. So Mandriva is now out of business. The distribution is dead. The company has sold all its assets. It's moved on and is no more. How do you pronounce the other one? Like Magia? Is that right? Oh, the free... Yeah. It's basically the Centos of Mandriva. Or Mandriva. I honestly thought that it was still Mandriva. But it was like... Well, it's it's a community effort. Oh, there was Mandrake for a while. No, no, no. Mandrake was, I think, what... Was it also commercial? I think Mandrake became Mandriva and Mandriva went commercial in that order. There's another one that's actually really popular right now. I think it's Magia. Open Mandriva? No, it's <laughs> not Open Mandriva. Yeah, Magia.org. I'll paste the link for you. I'll put it in the show notes as well, as I always do, because I make copious show notes. I wonder how many people actually read them. I hope everybody, because I put a lot of work into those and they're very helpful. But anyway, so Mandriva laid off a bunch of employees and has not been doing well in terms of a business sense. And, you know, like the CEO is kind of like taking the stance that it it was unavoidable. I feel like in a way it was. Well, I don't know. You have to look at the market they were going after. It's not like they had some enterprise-level product like Red Hat or any of the other big players. It was more so like, we're going to revolutionize the desktop and we're going to target desktop users for what we're doing. What do you think Mac is? Oh, it's X. That's not a fair comparison. Why not? It's just not the same thing. How is it not? Well, it's not someone taking Linux and trying to slap it on the desktop. It just isn't the same thing. You can't make statements and then not back them up, Jathan. That's not how the world works. Basically, I could see Mandriva being appealing back in the day when it was actually founded, which, um, when was it founded? 1998. I think what it really was then was an easy-to-use Linux distribution for people to deploy on their desktop, and more so in a commercial setting, like if you had a bunch of desktops to manage. Earlier versions looked exactly like Windows. Yeah, well, one of the derivatives now sort of is PC Linux OS, which still looks just like Windows. And I think back then there was probably a good market for that. Like, oh, we want an alternative to Windows, we want something that's pretty and looks like Windows and acts similarly to Windows. Mandriva, that's your answer. But now, I don't think that market is the same today, that's what I'm saying. I mean, it's just, it isn't OS X and it isn't Windows. Well, I mean, it's it's not anything anymore because it's dead. Sure, but do you understand what I'm saying? Kind of. I, I, I just think I disagree. They were trying well, to... Well, then tell me why. Why do you disagree? I mean, here's obviously they went out of business, so it's not like they were succeeding, so... They were actually starting to do pretty well. Oh, that's why they went bankrupt, right? They had a really horrible year or two. Son, you went bankrupt yesterday. You must be doing pretty well for yourself. I bet your family's proud. I can tell you don't read about these things before we talk about them. I put this in the show notes. Well, I probably told you to. You didn't read about it, obviously. All right, well, you didn't read about it. Because then, if you did, you would know that right before they were commanded to lay off a shit ton of people by the French government, I think, there were some extenuating circumstances where they had to lay off a bunch of people. But it wasn't because of loss of profit. They were actually starting to make a, a huge upturn once they replaced the CEO. And their profits were starting to go up. They were actually starting to yeah, get Yeah, but when the did they bread. replace him? 
before shit hit the fan, from my recall. Point is, profits were going up. That's not why they died. They didn't die because they went bankrupt. Now wait, when was he the new CEO? I don't fucking know. Okay, uh, their revenue's not even that large, though. In 2013, they made 553,000 euros of revenue. But it was saved for a few more years by Jean-Manuel Croce, who joined a COO, sorry, not CEO, in 2011 and soon after became CEO. Yeah, so from 2011 to 2013, they went up, but obviously between 2013, 2015, something happened because now they're bankrupt. Yeah, because they lost all their employees. I don't think that's the issue here. I think you should read about it. Dude, 553,000 euros of revenue in 2013. And that's supposed to keep a company alive. It's not going to keep it alive. It's an example that the company was starting to do better before shit hit the fan. I'm just saying. I don't really care all that much about Mandream in general, though. But it wasn't because of finances that they finally closed down. It wasn't, like, because they were not making enough of a profit. They were starting to, like, do better and become more sustainable as a business. Well, how many people worked at Mandream? I don't know. I forget the number. Because seriously, think about that. 553,000 euros. What is that in US dollars? It's not much, but it's more than they were. That's the thing is, how many employees could you really sustain on that? And without having enough employees, how could you move forward in a way that's, you know, progressive and making money? It's not going to be as aggressive as business companies. Find out how much that is in US dollars. I'm finding stuff from like 2012. Oh, Wikipedia. Okay, Mandrava was a result of the fusion of Mandrake and the Brazilian distribution Connectiva. Yeah, and they came together and they became Mandriva again. No, no, no. That was in the beginning. That was when they first started. I'm I'm reading through the history. Calm down. In May 2015, Mandriva went into administration as the 27th of May. The organization's website was offline. I'm waiting for the you're right, Jathan. It's not going to happen. When have I ever said that? Well, there was that time I told you I set up Guido Light without the uh, admin repo. Oh, you mean like 15 minutes ago? And you told me it would break. And I was like, nah, there's instructions. And you're like, well, show me. Yeah. Show me the instructions. And you did. And yeah, and there you. were some. But by and large, all right. Bastard. Where, are the, <laughs> where is their business controversy? Is there a controversy section here? Oh, this is going to be a lot of editing. I know. For me. Yeah. Well, you, you, it'll make up for it for all the times I had to edit out silences and stuff. At this point, we should almost start the episode over. New release. No, I liked our fucking argument. <laughs> Okay. I'm keeping it in there. I'm not editing shit. This, <laughs> this is an as-is episode. No, you better <laughs> edit out all the silences and ums and uhs. I take a lot of... I put a lot of care into this. And if you, if you fuck it up, so help me. Get, retrieve 2015. Let's Google. Fuck Retrieve-a. it. No. Uh, Jesus. 2015. Oh, there is an open Mandriva. Mm. That's disgusting. I told you. I didn't say there wasn't, but that wasn't the one I was thinking of. Okay. Employee lawsuits killed Mandriva. That's what we're talking about. Oh, that's the one I have linked in the show notes. Oh my god. Yeah. So they generated little revenue, yada yada yada, and yeah, liquidated all its assets. So it turns out, like, a lot of the companies... Yeah, so, like, the company wasn't doing well, so it had to fire a lot of employees, had a lot of layoffs, or the government required some kind of back taxes or something like that, and they couldn't afford to pay it, so they had to make layoffs. Then the employees sued, because it's France, and they're entitled French shits, I guess, I don't know. If we had any French listeners, they're gone now. I don't care about the French, whatever. This is America, all right? So it was the employees sued. So while Mandriva was starting to do better, and they were, they were on the path to a sustainable comeback by all projections of the numbers. So while they were on that path, the employees en masse opened like a class action against them or whatever. And they couldn't afford to pay the uh, the winnings of the lawsuit, whether it was like missed wages or damages or something like that. So as a result, then they had to close the doors and liquidate all their assets and everything. 
But my point is, as a business model, the new COO slash CEO made a turnaround. That's my point. I understand what you're saying. I don't disagree with what you're saying, but also that wasn't like what I was arguing. Mostly I was arguing that I still don't think it was that sustainable. It was. The numbers improving show that it was sustainable. You're not going to you're not going to get rich working at Mandriva. So tell me what the point is of investing in Mandriva for your business. Well, right now it'd be a pretty stupid move, wouldn't it? Well, okay, thanks. I mean, seriously, if you're uh, a business and Mandriva comes to you and says, we can offer... Uh, That's not their market. They're not marketing towards businesses. They're marketing towards the end user. That's like saying... Yeah, but their biggest customer was a government well i can't vouch for that government i don't know why but my point is that's like saying why don't companies corporate environments buy licenses for i don't know winamp is winamp still a thing i think so. okay so why don't they buy like winamp for their employees some might if it makes sense to maybe for the government it made sense to get the mandriva desktops but you know in general i would say no okay that's fair yeah let's stop talking about mandriva like yeah, I'm over it. You pissed me off. The problem is you piss off too easily. You want me to piss off now? You're a young Padawan. You need to learn the Zen of backing up your argument without getting angry about it. Okay, let me take some deep breaths. And I'm better. Okay. In and out. Cool. Moving on. So, no, yeah, let's talk about Moose, because fuck Mandriva. Like, it's sad that that mm-hmm. happened. I'm always sad to see a distro die, but, like, it's Mandriva. Whatever. Nobody cares. Oh, I bet you would celebrate if uh, Slackware died. <laughs> You know what? I was talking with with one of my coworkers today. It turns out he has a Slack box that he regularly maintains. Why? And, and this is going to make you angry. It's on Apple hardware. No, that makes it better. Why? I don't know why. Does he do that? Can I find him and talk to him? <laughs> no. I have his phone number. I asked him why, and he's like, oh, I just like it. I like building Does he source. listen to our podcast? I don't think so. If he is, Damn hi, it. Mike. Mike, why? <laughs> I asked him the same thing. I was like, oh, I, I'm so sorry, Mike. But yeah, like he says he likes building from source. And I was like, well, then why, why don't you just go with Gentoo? Yeah, I mean, you can get real packages that were updated not two years ago. And your distro doesn't well, tell you to no. update packages. He, I think there's like community managed repositories or something like that. I didn't look too into it. Whatever. Really? Hmm. Maybe I should start packaging for Slack. No, you should What a resume builder that would be. <laughs> I mean, I guess it'd be like hipster geek points, but whatever. I'm going to move on. Fuck Slack. Yep. Okay, Moose. Moose. So Moose is a worm that infects Linux-based consumer router firmware. And not like infects like it finds a some kind of obscure vulnerability or, or injection attack or anything like that. No, it, it from what I'm understanding, it uses just the regular like GUI login and maybe SSH brute forcing. Because it, it says, that, yeah, it says it doesn't eradicating existing malware infections finds competing, automatically finding other routers to detect. However, it does not rely upon any underlying vulnerability in the routers. It is simply taking advantage of devices that have been weakly configured with poorly chosen login credentials. Lesson to you all, create a secure password for your router. Or uh, maybe don't open SSH and the web GUI to the world if you don't know what you're doing. There's always that. Or if you don't need it. If you don't need it, that'd be ideal. Principal victims are likely to be routers with devices from ActionTech Hikvision, H-I-K, Netgear, Synology, TP-Link, Sixcell, and Zone, Zone, Z-H-O-N-E. How's that pronounced? I don't know which article you're reading. It's in the show notes. It's the first one. I know. Not the Ars technical one. Okay, I'm, I'm there. Yeah, so the weird thing, though, is, and, and the article mentions this, is it's not, you'd think it'd be, like, for some kind of crazy, um, I don't know, like, IRC botnet or something. It's for a social media botnet. It's for, like, Twitter and Instagram and shit. Like, making fake Twitter accounts. Yeah. I think they mentioned Instagram specifically, but, like, why? I understand it can be a lot of money. 
I just, I don't understand botnet ops. Of all the, the great things you could do with root on tons of different routers connected to home networks, you choose to botnet Instagram? It makes no sense. Yeah, I mean, the one thing is, the other article that's in our show notes, the Ars Technica one, does say that it will um, look for unencrypted cookies, so it could take your login information, potentially. So you could have some kind of, like, social network. But it's still based on social media. Yes, that's true. It's not, like, specifically trying to build a list of credentials or anything. It's just focusing on social media, which is mind-boggling. But whatever. Really, that's where the money is these days. But as we say right on our website, we hate social media. So At least I do. I hate no, it. No, I, I don't hate it, but I'm not on it as much as I used to be. Yeah, no, I hate it. I think the only times I'm on it is, like, t- to like my girlfriend's Facebook posts. And Twitter, because that's where all the infosec people are these days. Does she get mad if you don't like her posts? I wouldn't say she gets mad. It makes her feel appreciated. Yeah. Well, Steph always gets like, she'll post something and she'll be like, did you see that video I posted? And like, I'll have seen it, but I didn't click on it explicitly. So I'll be like, yeah, I saw it, but I didn't click on it. Then why didn't you like it? Yeah. Yeah. And she's just like, oh my God, you never look at anything I post. <laughs> I can say my experience is maybe a little bit similar. I mean, whatever. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, we've, we've got two articles about this. That's that's basically it, though. Like, I just yeah, don't Yeah, it's not much to say because that's kind of just like, why? It's not infecting your computer. It's not... I thought that it said something about throttling a network, but it's actually throttling the worm so that it's not detectable on a network in terms of bandwidth. That is one of the cool aspects of it. It throttles follows, so it queues them up, and then it, it does them in chunks. Yeah, which is pretty cool. I mean, it's smart, anyway. It also is non-persistent, so if, like most of those routers, the stuff is running in ram instead of the storage uh, you just reboot your router and it's gone it only runs in ram we'll try to find a full list of affected routers at least what's published so far and put it up in the show notes i'll write up the show notes but you can do that because that doesn't sound like fun i already found one the other day so <laughs> fair enough works for me i'm gonna move on to open indiana yeah let's talk about open indiana and solaris and why they suck that's not fair well like all right so better than mandriva they're still in business <laughs> That is that is true. That is very true. They've got one up on Mandriva. So Solaris has it's been around for I'm gonna say maybe sixteen years. Open Solaris or just Solaris. Solaris? I think Open Solaris is dead. I think ninety five maybe? No, Open Solaris is still a thing. Open Solaris died with Solaris, and then it forked into Illumos. Oh, that's right. And now, well, Open Indiana uses the Illumos kernel. Yeah. Uh, Illumos is essentially just forked Open Solaris, right? No big deal. Mm-hmm. Somewhere, I hope I didn't throw it out. I had a DVD of Open Solaris Developer Edition. I can't remember which version, but it was like 2009? Question mark. It was a while ago, but it was like specifically the Developer Edition, and it came on like a DVD with a plastic case mailed to you for free. And I was like, oh man, this is awesome. And then I realized, wait, why did I have them send me this? Solaris sucks. <laughs> Let me explain why it sucks. If you've got the hardware for it and you want it for a very dedicated purpose, it's actually pretty cool it's good for like authentication servers like carburos or radius stuff like that it's good for storage shows windows no windows is not good for that you shut your whore mouth if you've got like a bunch of storage it's great for storage 
yeah. It they did come out. They were the first ones to come out with uh, ZFS. It's great for storage because ZFS. Yes. Yeah. I should mention I use Open Indiana at work, and it's what we run exclusively on our storage boxes, and we do so simply because of native ZFS. If you're going to be using ZFS, I think it's your best bet at this point because, as far as I can tell, ZFS on Linux is still meh. I don't know if I'd put it on like a you know mission critical server. Yeah, and it's Solaris and it's it's derivatives now. We have to say because it's not it's dead solaris and open solaris are, are dead long live solaris whatever but the derivatives you know still have that native fully native zfs support and they're one of the few freebsd does have a native zfs implementation but it's not as good as solaris's and when i say solaris i mean it in like the sense of like i'm i use most people use the word linux like i'm referring to solaris styled forks and derivatives and stuff they were the first ones to come up with zfs they did it really well and i think that's shown so if you really need zfs you know, why not? Which does have its uses. Which does have its uses. Are you playing with a zipper? I was. I put it down because I realized it was coming out on mic. I don't know. I don't really have a lot of reasons other than storage and maybe like single purpose stuff for Solaris based distributions. Yeah, I, I mean, I only have a few things to add to that as someone who actually use it, uses it. I have not used, but have heard that the virtualization, it's called Zoned, is actually pretty good. Yeah, yeah. It's really lightweight as far as I can tell. Again, I've not used it. So I'm just throwing it out there. The thing with zones is like, yeah, it was pretty cool, but I haven't used it personally. I hear it's very similar to like the free BSD concept of jails. That's about all I know. I would not know. The other thing that it does pretty well, so far as I can tell, is the fault management architecture, FMA. Again, this is not something I've worked with extensively, but it's sort of a way of running things in like a faulted state so that, yes, this one part of this process or this service is failing. So we're going to strip out that part, but we're going to let everything else run as normally as we possibly can without killing the entire service. And that's pretty cool and can be potentially useful if it's utilized. I can see that being useful. The problem is like Solaris is just so fucking slow. It's so slow. You need a beast of hardware to run it. If you can imagine an operating system written in Java <laughs> and the type of resources that would require, that's kind of Solaris for you. Like that's the amount of resource consumption it uses, at least in my experiences with it, which admittedly are limited, but. All right, moving on. Let's just move swiftly along to embedded alternative firmware you can run on consumer routers. It's relevant to what we were just talking about specifically, running basically Linux or other alternatives on consumer hardware. So the first is Tomato. Tomato is not open source, contrary to common misconception. It's freeware. It's still a proprietary license, but it's based on Hyper WRT, I believe. Tomato and DDRWRT, which we'll talk about next for a little bit, are really similar in the sense that they try and provide like a complete package for the stuff that most end users that would be flashing their router want out of the box already. It does provide alternative ways of like modifying it and stuff, but at the end of the day, it's, it's still freeware. And it has a more limited implementations. DDWRT is probably the longest running popular alternative firmware. I think it used to be based on OpenWT or is now or something like that. But DDWRT does the same thing. I believe they have different tiered license levels. So you can, yeah, they've got, they've got a shop. 
so you can pay. So like they've got multiple tiers of accessibility for their software. Basically, like if you want alternative firmware that has a paid support channel for you to run to when you break something, DDWRT might be what you want because they're still more open and up to date than most stock firmware. A lot of the stock firmwares these days are using GPL code. The upside of that is a lot of uh, stock firmware so you can actually get the source code to now. Granted, it's almost never a pleasant experience because for whatever reason, companies that use GPL code don't make their current code available easily. So you have to like write and be like, hey, can you send me a zip file of the most recent source? It still technically satisfies the GPL, but it's not friendly to developers at that point at all. I don't know. Did you have anything to add about Tomato or DDWRT, Jathan? I have never actually used either. I used DDWRT way back in the heyday. Yeah, I mean, I would love to experience them, but they're available on such a small range of hardware at this point that it's not really that viable to just play with it. Yeah, that's true. But next is OpenWRT. OpenWRT is awesome. You can download like a a firmware and they, they probably by far have the widest uh, hardware range of supported devices and they've even got a table of like compatibilities so like if it run mostly runs on your device but it's got one or two tweaks you need to make or one or two things don't work quite right it'll say right in the table which is super cool but you can get like a vanilla image and then it has like a, a repository behind it so you can install new software after you flash your router and extend it you know, like post market but it tends to be more space efficient if you build your own custom firmware image and they have an SDK and an image builder tool that let you do this. So the image builder tool lets you basically just include certain software ahead of time into a pre-configured firmware. The SDK, which I've used for Project Free when I was building our firmware, because I was including Batman Advanced and CJDNS and all sorts of other stuff into it, is so cool. You can include custom config files, software, the way it mounts the way it authenticates, really low-level stuff. Even the kernel, you can change the kernel configuration and all sorts of great stuff. It's a bit of a pain and it takes up a huge amount of disk space, but you can do some really cool stuff with it. I'm totally an OpenWRT fanboy. If I have to use consumer routers, I'll at least use OpenWRT on them. Always? If it's supported, yeah. Huh, really interesting. I didn't know that. I figured you'd be happy with just a, a router. No. Oh, hell no. If I can't shell into my network equipment, I don't trust it. I don't know. I got a new router. Maybe I'll have to think yeah, about it. Yeah, give it a shot. I'm almost sure it's supported. And then there's also some free BSD-based ones, PFSense and Monowall. PFSense I've used moderately, and Monowall I've used maybe once or twice. Monowall is weird in that it has... It's a bare-bones version of, of FreeBSD and includes like a, a web server in it, and it does its boot time configuration with PHP. It parses... It parses... Yeah, that sounds scary, honestly. It sounds super scary. It parses its system configuration through PHP and stored in XML format, which, which has some advantages and disadvantages. The advantage is it's super easy to modify the system with like a PHP... HP-based GUI, web GUI. The downside of that is why are you parsing your con your system-level config files through PHP? So it's it's insane, but it makes sense from, at least for a consumer perspective, for the project they're trying to do. I don't think it's a good idea, but it, I can see why they did it. And PFSense is pretty similar to Monowall. It has a lot of features. It is open source, as Monowall is. But, you know, I mean, th th there's not much to talk about between the two of them. They definitely don't support the level of customization that OpenWRT does, but they... 
They right. are still open and they they ship. If you want a good router with a lot of features right out of the box that you can SSH into or use a web GUI or whatever, uh, P- I would probably go with PFSense. And it does, they have an x86 port too. OpenWRT does as well. But yeah, you can you can run PFSense, Monowall, and OpenWT on x86 hardware as well. But I would not. I would custom brew your own one, which we'll talk about in our next episode, by the way. Making your own full x86 hardware box for routing and firewalling and stuff like that. But more on that next week. Yeah, uh, they're, they're super small distributions. They're kind of limited, whatever. Did you have anything to add about that? Have you tried any of these? No, I actually haven't used any. I just thought I'd put them on the topics list because I know that there's a lot of use. There's a lot of people who do use them. I know you used OpenWRT for uh, project-free stuff, so I figured you'd at least have something to say. I actually just recently shut down the project-free servers. I was making the, the whole SDK with my my revisions to it available via Git. I didn't really make all that many though. I just changed the default software that gets packaged and um, some config files here and there and that was it. So yeah. We're going to move on to... Yeah, so next topic. Yeah. So we mentioned on our topic list some favorite Linux software slash utilities that we run on our personal VPSs. Problem is I think Jathan and I use our VPSs quite differently. I get a bunch and I use one for each purpose slash role. Like, I've got one for my uh, professional hosted stuff. I got one for system administrative stuff. One for basically a jump box slash IRC box. One runs some games, stuff like that. I don't know. What about you? Yeah, for me, I only have one VPS. I mean, for one thing, I don't have the income to really support multiple at this point. I had thought about for a while getting one that was just for hosting websites because I've got mine and then a couple of other people who I had previously hosted and wouldn't mind hosting for again in exchange for just a little bit of money. But I also don't do that many independent projects as I had been doing or anything else. So, I mean, my VPS at this point is kind of a waste because I almost exclusively pay $20 a month for it so I can use IRC. The convenience of having a persistent IRC session alone is probably worth 20 bucks to me. Yeah, to me, I think it is too. Otherwise, I would ditch it. Um, I mean, I've jumped around providers pretty much just between two, and those two would be Tectonic and Linode. And Brent used to work at Tectonic, which was what drew me there in the first place. Of course, he does not work there anymore, so I've stuck with Linode for a long time. So for me, I run IRC. Uh, I mean, I shouldn't even say I run IRC. I mean, I connect to IRC. I run an IRC client, which is IRC. I've got a web server up and running and in place with everything I'd like. I just haven't gotten around to actually installing text pattern like I promised everyone I would do. I was actually thinking about sitting down with that for a little while tonight, maybe. Yeah, you should. Yeah, I don't know what else. I mean, I do run a VPN that I use pretty regularly, so that's also... If I were to separately pay to have a computer on all the time for uh, IRC purposes, and then also pay for a VPN, I'd probably be at my $20 a month, honestly. Realistically, like, and you can get a VPS really cheap. Vulture, for instance, or Ramnode, or DigitalOcean, you can get, like, 5 to $10 VPSs. I like Linode, I know a lot of the guys that work there. They've served me pretty well. They've got great uptime. That's great. And they, they did recently announce that they're moving forward with making KVM available to everyone now. So I, I do need to switch all my other all my other Linodes over to KVM. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, yeah, like I've got I've got the one I run Ursi and Screen on. And I also have a an Ursi plugin that has like a client-side and server-side component. So I can shell into my Ursi 
server and it builds like a uh, a connection between and when i get a a, a highlight in ursi i'll get a gnome dbus pop-up whatever they're called gnome notification on my local server along with the sound which is super helpful because i otherwise i don't know when the hell people are highlighting me that's pretty fair i should do something like that but i haven't i'll see if i can get you linked to to where i found it because I don't know Pearl, you know? I can maybe read it if it's well commented enough. I don't think I could write that. But I mean, bash and maybe a little bit of Python are my strong suits. I'm, I'm a master basher, I would say. I do some crazy stuff in bash. We're actually talking about that in a future episode, so I'm not going to go into that too much. Sure. I, I agree with that. Yeah. I mean, tying closely into that, though, is a project I've been working on. It's relevant to our next notes topic. So our next topic for the show is games that run on GNU Linux. And a personal project of mine, I do it in my free time, what little free time I have. And I've got it maybe, I don't know, half configured is games.squareroot.net. I'll link to it in the show notes, don't worry. But it's, uh, I'm running daemons for a bunch of different Linux servers, Linux games. Games compatible with Linux, basically. So, um, Doom, Doom 1 and 2. A lot of these are, like, more classic games, too. So Doom 1 and 2, because they're, because fuck Doom 3. Although Doom 4 looks kind of cool, not gonna lie. Quake 1, 2, 3. Quake 4 does work on Linux, but again, it's not good. It's got that weird Call of Duty, feels too slow kind of bullshit. What others? Unreal Gold, like the original one from like 1998 or whatever. Unreal Tournament 1999, the first Unreal Tournament. Game of the Year edition. A whole bunch of others. But there are some that are totally free. Free as in beer and free as in open source. Uh, free as in Libra, rather. Free as in freedom. Uh, Warsaw is, it's it's got some really Really beautiful graphics it's cell shaded so it's got a lot of bright colors it's really easy on the eyes doesn't take a whole lot of graphical powers because it's like super pixelated not like pixelated but like it's it's blocky you know like like imagine minecraft minecraft with multi polygonal mo- models so like rounded edges and smooth edges and stuff bloom things like that but like still done in like a cyberpunky sort of pixel inspired artwork it's really cool it's really cool and it's also very fast paced it's fast paced it's based on quake 3 i think which quake 3 engine was open source by the way Quake 1 and 3, and maybe Quake 2 engines were open source. I think Quake 2 was. Pretty sure Quake 4 was recently, too. The the other one is uh, Zonotic, or Zonotic. I'm not quite sure it's pronounced. It's X-O-N-O-T-I-C. And they it runs in, like, OpenGLX, or OpenGL, GLX, whatever. So it's it's got some really beautiful textures and graphics to it. It's super fast. Like, it's, it's, it's one of the fastest games around that is still being played. Like, fast-paced. Like, if you normally play TF2 or, or like, Counter-Strike, I got to tell you now you probably won't last too long in in zonotic or or war style because they're just very fast paced and they're very cool games these are all like fps's by the way and uh there's a couple others but those are mostly the the ones i plan on focusing on for the server yeah i don't have too much to add to this because i don't really i had gamed for a while but it was all like battlefield a little bit of call of duty but i was always a battlefield guy i still do play league of legends which is free but is not open source so if anyone wants to uh tweet at me or whatever i'd be happy to play league with you sometime i also i played minecraft for a while and actually have an interest in starting a server backup for that and it would probably be a an okay use of my linode so if anyone would be interested in that similarly tweet at me let me know i would definitely be interested in starting up a server and getting to know some people that way you should run one of the uh the open source 
uh, Minecraft clones. I didn't know there were any, oh, dude, but if tons. you point me in, yeah, the, I'll get you. If link. you point me in the direction, yeah, I have played League on Linux before utilizing Wine. You know, that was actually one of the better games that I've played using Wine. The other being World of Warcraft back in the day when my friends not so kindly coerced me into playing WoW with them. Like it was, it was the only chance I get to hang out with them. So I'm like, oh, fine, whatever, I'll install it. I'll try it. I hated it, but whatever. But it does run in Wine. I think it still runs in Wine rather well. Yeah, I imagine it does. I mean, a lot of the big player games, if you will, usually get preferenced in terms of running in Wine effectively. Yeah, and then they also design those games to be compatible with a lot of wide different software. And the way you do that is try and simplify the code and make it as clean as possible, thus increasing the chances it works natively in, in, in Wine anyways. I've used Wine for one or two Steam games back in the day. I think Fortress Forever was the last Steam game. No, hmm. that was just Half-Life 2. That was just a Half-Life 2 mod. It wasn't even on Steam. It's still in, I think. But yeah, like that was last I think I used wine for gaming but then bless Valve's hearts man they made a Linux native Steam client yeah which is awesome super cool the other game that I spent a fair amount of time on back in the day is Gary's Mod which is pretty cool if you've never played it you could look up on YouTube I mean you can basically build or create anything in Gary's Mod that you want I think there's a Linux Gary's Mod client now finally yeah I believe there is and uh, that's something else I wouldn't mind again getting back into and have the capacity to run a server for so you know if I hear anything from anyone chances are it'll only be one or two of you but if by chance i hear from many of you i'll just go with what the popular choice is because i mean for me if that's a way to interact with listeners i'm happy to sit and play video games with you for sure yeah and you can even use my mumble i run a separate mumble server than this one specifically for games.squareroot i'll make a channel or something yeah well we'll just see hopefully someone reaches out and wants to play video games with us yeah. and by all means uh if you're if you're interested in the open source games that brent mentioned i would be more than willing to download those and hop in his servers as well so that we could all sit and oh play, yeah which would be cool i'd love to play with you you guys should play test with me I'd yeah love it. we should have like a hosted video game night I was thinking about doing something like that. Yeah, and even if people just came and hung out and mumble and they weren't playing, I mean, it'd still be cool. Yeah, but I prefer they were playing with us. <laughs> yeah, me too. I mean, that'd be way more but, fun. But, you know, I understand, like, if you're stuck with a laptop at the moment or something. Oh, off topic real quick. So my laptop's doing this really weird thing. Every once in a while, like, if I hold it in a certain position, it's just making really loud, crackling static and, like, interference-sounding type stuff. I don't think it's software. It's coming out of the speakers themselves, but I don't think it's software because... I tried throwing in a couple different live CDs or live USBs that doesn't have an optical bay. And it does it in those too. Oh, that's really weird. I know. I thought it was like, is this Pulse Audio fucking me over again? But I don't think it is. You know what? I haven't tried it with a live CD with like no sound drivers whatsoever. Yeah, you should just do like System Rescue CD. No, I think even System, Re System Rescue CD has some. I'll custom brew one of my own ISOs and, and use that. I don't think I even have sound on mine, so I'll try using that and see if I can reproduce. But yeah, it's the weirdest thing. So I got to take it apart and see if there's something going on with those wires. Maybe the shielding's getting cracked or something, but I don't know. Uh, well, if we're talking about personal woes at the moment, this isn't really a woe, but I'm sure you've heard me bitch about Puppet before. And if you haven't, take my word, and I'm sure Brent would back me up in saying that I like to bitch about Puppet. A lot. I just recently purchased a new piece of hardware at work that we're going to be using for a new and improved Puppet server. So we are on version 3.4.3 of Puppet, and the newest version is 4.1, I believe. How often do they release? Because otherwise it means nothing. Fairly frequently. Like, there's been 3.5, 3.6, 3.7, 3.8. I know, but, like, major versions. I don't honestly have an answer for that, because I have only worked with Puppet for nine months now. I'll look it up, and I'll put it in the errata section. How long ago 
uh, 3.5 was released. Right. In any case, it's proving to be a large pain in the ass so far. And I haven't even gotten the hardware yet. What do you mean you haven't gotten the hardware yet? What are you doing in the meanwhile? Well, we're going to have all of our stuff in a central Git repository. Oh, right. You're setting up Git. So I'm setting up Git, and uh, I also just stood up a VM so I could start by installing Puppet and just getting uh, like a few tests running in the meantime so that when the real thing comes, I'll at least have something. Uh, I don't know. I may go through the install again just so I can say I've done it twice instead of once. No, dude, don't waste time. Okay. If you had a working implementation, just set up your booting. If it's if it's UEFI, it's going to, you know, you have to set up booting a different way. But otherwise, like, copy over your slash boot and... Uh... Well, I wouldn't even have to do that. I could actually just copy the Etsy puppet folder. Dude, don't do that. Why do that when instead you could just rsync over an entire OS? I haven't picked an OS yet. And how are you running a VM? Well, I'm using CentOS 6 now. Okay. But I don't know if that's what's going to be on the actual Puppet server. I would do CentOS 7. That's what I said too, and I was like, well, you know, it buys us four more years of definite updates. Mm -hmm. The thing is, everyone that I work with is like, no, we know CentOS 6, so we should just stick with that. Mm. And, And... I totally agree. I wanted to put CentOS 7 on hands down because as you know from previous episodes, well, you know this anyway, but as you all know from previous episodes, I'm a fan of System D for one thing. Yeah. And for two, you know, everyone makes the point like, oh, well, CentOS 6 has so many more packages and repositories available. And that's true, but this is also like a very dedicated purpose. It's just going to be Puppet. And those are custom repositories from from Puppet Labs anyway. CentOS 7 doesn't have as many repositories? No, I, I do believe that's true a lot. A lot of people haven't made that leap. Huh. I know Apple's on 7, at least. I mean, everything that you would need, in my opinion, unless you're running some really specific stuff, I think is on CentOS 7. Yeah. I don't know. We haven't really finished the discussion. I think, uh, well, we have a meeting tomorrow, so I think I'm going to make the case again for CentOS 7, because the thing is, CentOS 6 isn't going to be around forever. Yes, it will be around for at least five more years, but in the interim, you're still going to have to learn CentOS 7 eventually, so why not migrate one server that isn't actually that mission critical, because if Puppet goes down, it's not like everyone's configuration suddenly changes. It still is maintained at the last known state, you know? Mm. So, uh, I don't know. We'll see what happens with that. I'll have to let y'all know what ends up happening yeah i'm interested in that we should have done a piece earlier on um proposals proposals to management because i've had to do quite a few of those in my day it's not too late we can still certainly put that on the topic list for some time no we'll talk about it not next time because next time i want to focus on the router box but we'll do that after that yeah totally down with that Put it, on, put it in the show notes, lackey. Oh, <laughs> then to close this episode out, there were two, technically three, notable compromises this past week. One of them was OPM. OPM is the Office of Personnel Management. Thank you. Can I remember? It's basically kind of like the HR department for the entire nation's collection of federal staff. So if you're federally employed, I believe you are in the OPM. So they had a compromise. Not once, but twice. Twice. Right after each other. So Director Catherine Archaluda said 4.2 million federal workers will be notified by June 19th. So uh, this Friday. Hopefully they will have been notified by the time we release this. We're recording on June 17th. So so this Friday for us that the personnel records have been compromised. Now I have some questions. First Why off, I work for the government. <laughs> that's a good start. I mean, it's it's pretty sweet benefits. You get a really cool pension if you. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, I'm technically a Colorado state employee because I work for the university. Yeah, you probably have some pretty cool pension options. 
Well, I've already got a sweet retirement started and making bank there, so. There you go. So anyways, some news reports, they're saying as many as like 14 million have been victims for the attack. I don't know where that number is coming from. The official number released by the OPM is 4.2 million. They also say it could be more. So we'll see. We just know they're notifying 4.2 million. Let's look at what they got in the breach. They got background investigation records, social security numbers, and plain text 30 years back. What else did they get? They got, um, you said you found one article where it, where it talks about the other stuff they found? Yeah, so the list that's here is uh, mental health history. How lovely. Criminal records, drug and alcohol use, and financial data. And that's from USA Today. Going 30 years back for all these employees. That is a lot of information, and especially like if you knew <laughs> that someone had a mental health history. Oh, I know. That can make someone extremely vulnerable. All of those are super vulnerable things. I don't know. It's so frustrating. So that happened not once, but twice. At what point do you're like, oh, wait, maybe there was a compromise. Maybe we should shut this shit down for a while and do an audit. The issue really is, and we've talked about this before with other companies, it's just nobody has the ability to sort of swallow their pride and admit that maybe they're doing some things wrong. Yeah, that's a great point. I understand you want stability, but you need to understand sometimes changes need to be pushed out ASAP because if you don't, you're going to get your ass fucking compromised and then you're either going under if you're a business or you are going to lose way more money than if you just fucking did the upgrade ASAP. Would you rather have have one day of downtime or less realistically probably closer to five minutes to an hour of downtime or would you rather have three weeks while an audit digs through your shit and finds where all the worms are this is something i legitimately get angry about because it's the stupid fucking corporate mindset where stability takes reign you know what you want something that stable run failover and run duplication otherwise you have no fucking reason to not patch that shit it's not a matter of if it's a matter of when at that point well, especially if you're the government it's not like nobody's trying you know yeah you're a high profile target i didn't think insurance companies like, i understand why they're high profile high profile target but they they aren't what i would consider at the top of the of the profile list at the, the high risk list they're up there but they're probably i wouldn't expect them to be at the top and yet they got hit hard. Multiple insurance companies and healthcare agencies got hit like all within a month. And they take the servers being down as the bottom line and not, hey, we need to fix this. And that just bugs me so much. I understand stability and uptime is important, but it's not God. It's not primary. Especially if you pitch it to a, a consumer that way. Like, yes, our site was down for, let's just say, three hours the other day. But at the same time, we didn't leak your social security number. Yeah. And I mean, that kind of goes both ways, because I guarantee that there's people that they go to a website and they call the company up and they start bitching at them. Oh, yeah. It's all like managerial types, COOs, CEOs, CFOs, like even lower level managers. It's all managerial types. It's ever people on the front lines who bitch about that because the people on the front lines know it's a shitty thing to do. You don't rat someone out for patching their shit. And, you know, that's the thing. I have to say I'm really fortunate working at a smaller place in terms of what I do, because if we have to apply updates to a machine, chances are if we like schedule a, a job at like 3 a.m. and somebody sits up and does it nobody's even going to notice yeah and i understand not everyone has that luxury or not everyone is dealing with such a small user base but i'm saying if you can't afford the downtime that would be caused by that luxury then you should sink your money into duplication yeah, that's fair. I, I agree. It's not too hard to understand, people. Every company should have that luxury. I don't see it as a luxury. I see it as a requirement. I see it as something that's necessary to reform and prevent all these fucking hacks. Excuse me, compromises. I hate when I do that. I'm getting really angry, so I gotta... <laughs> 
I gotta move on. Thankfully, this will make me a little bit less angry because I got some schadenfreude to it. So, LastPass was compromised. Oh yeah, I kind of forgot that we added this to the list even though I have it open. I didn't actually add it to the list, but I have it open in a tab. Oh, yeah, so... Why don't, you, why don't you talk about it? So uh, a lot of people use LastPass, which is kind of like a cloud-based password manager. Essentially, you have a master password that unlocks a database that contains all of your other passwords. And as far as I know, there's integration into browsers like Chrome and Firefox so that you can put in your master password for every site and it will automatically fill in your user password for that site. And I've not used LastPass because I don't trust this kind of shit. So I don't actually know how it works entirely in that regard. And I apologize for that. But we kind of actually found this last minute and threw it in so I didn't have a chance to look into it all that much. But essentially what happened is LastPass, they do admittedly, it seems like, at least take a, a fair bit of care to put security measures in place that protects data. But, you know, it just doesn't seem like it's enough. Somewhere there had to be a hole that someone got in and stuff got leaked. Yeah. First off, why would you ever, ever, ever use a cloud-based password manager? I understand it's convenient because now you have passwords everywhere you go. But you know what? If you do, so does everyone else. Yeah, I see the appeal for a lot of people. I definitely see the appeal. My problem is the general populace is stupid. Yeah, I don't even save my passwords in Firefox. I mean, do whatever you do. If you're going to save them at all, save them locally. And, and encrypt your drive. Yeah, encrypt your drive. I think I have linked to it in the show notes before, but I use something called Pass. The binary is called Pass. It's the, the full string is like password something or other. It just uses Bash and GPG. So you maybe have to copy it over from your terminal and paste it in instead of having it fill in for you. But you know what? It's going to be a hell of a lot safer. So in the compromise. Let's tell them what they got, Jathan. You ready? It looks like they have gotten the LastPass account email addresses, which I don't know, but I assume that's probably what you use to log into LastPass. Password reminders, so whatever you set to remind yourself what your password is. I don't use those either. I kind of don't understand the purpose. Server per user salts and authentication hashes were all leaked and compromised. The interesting part there, aside from the emails, of course, that's a Fisher's wet dream. A social engineer's wet dream i should specify so aside from all that which is in and of itself just super dangerous and bad bad you've also you've got the salts and the hashes now normally a salted hash would not be such a big deal it's operating under the theory that if someone gets your hash or a list of hashes they would still need to brute force it with the unique salts which is true however salted hashes especially if they managed to get the salt with the hash which in this case they did which in this case they did it does say though that they still have a random salt on top of all salts should be random yeah but because if you use one salt for your entire hash list that defeats the entire fucking purpose of salts yeah i get that okay anyways no what you were looking about with the p the pbkdf too right yeah that's that's for the master password on the local user's computer that's not how it's it's stored in the it says server side where are you saying that we, we uh, hash both the username and password on the user's computer uh I... so i'm on the security blog post and i'm on the june 15th 2015 posting Oh, I'm looking at the June 16th. Yeah, scroll down. All right, well, I'll, 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 I will in a second. Anyways, so back to why salt and hashes are bad things. So um, if you have the, the salt, you can basically, and this is great for targeted attacks because that's, you know, it's a good place to start. You can run, you can basically try and brute force the hash with the salt and find the password that way or the original string or whatever. It's asymmetrical, so it's not meant to be to do that. 
So sometimes you can apply some some really loopy stuff to it to to make it you know take longer. But at the end of the day, it's not perfect forward secrecy. It's it's not generated in such a way where it's unable to be uh, reproduced without the key, without the private key. So it's really not good. I mean, it's it's realistically, will we see any password actual password cracks from this? Probably not. Does it mean that you should change all your passwords? Absolutely, because as I mentioned, it's not perfect forward secrecy. As hardware improves. The computing improves over time, just as Moore's Law states. So I'm sure at a point in time in the future, someone will look at, at this this hashing salting scheme, the multiple hashing 100,000 times, and they'll laugh. They'll laugh and be like, oh, why did they think that was secure? You know, like, just as we look back at, I don't know, SHA-1, MD5, which is, now has known collisions, and we laugh at those. So it's it's something to consider. You'll definitely want to change your passwords. Change your, hell, change your master password for LastPath. Do it well, all. I think they're requiring it now. Oh, good, good. As a measure, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's good. Yeah, note that you should never reuse passwords, especially less. Okay, all right, that's that's good. At least I've got some solid advice. Yeah, but, I think they're they're doing a decent job uh, trying to clean up. Yeah, and they're transparent about it, which I do appreciate. But that's the problem. You're sacrificing convenience for security. As long as you're aware that you're doing that, I'm okay with it. The problem is people don't know that they're doing that. Having your password stored in the cloud is a bad, bad idea. I don't I don't care if it's hashed 10,000 times or 100,000 times, rather. I just don't trust that kind of data with other people. I use unique passwords, and if a password is important to me, I'm not going to use it in a, a publicly accessible way. So, I don't know. I mean, it, I could see this coming, and I've warned people about using LastPass for years now. Be very careful with the password manager you use, is all I'm going to say. Totally agree with that. Let's close this out. I need a smoke. This has been Sysadministrivia. This is Brent. I'm Jonathan. See you next time. Thank you.